And I just saw Bucky's grin. I knew we were in trouble. <laughs> we're going to be up for this. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. Hello and welcome to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. I am delighted to be back with the guys. We have a massive show coming up for you all as we react to that British and Irish line squad announcement. We'll be joined later on by South African reporter Craig Gray and Springbok legend Victor Matfield to get their takes on that squad announced earlier by Warren Gatland. But first, lads, there's some huge shockers in it. You know, names that should be there, names that are there. Ian, what's your original, your initial impression? No, no. First, Emer, welcome back to the show and uh, a huge congratulations on making Team of the Six Nations. It was a great, great achievement, locking down the full back slot. Well done. Thanks very much for that, Ian. Thanks, guys. Yeah, delighted. My mother must have been voting, uh, like, I don't know, she must put 100 votes in (laughs) to get that. (laughs) Logan on your own Instagram, please vote for (laughs) (laughs) Sliding into your DMs looking for votes, no. Um, Thank you. Cheers, it was It was... uh, Honoured to be put on it, but again, a, a big shock, similar to the boys that were named today. So what do you think, Ian? Yeah, it was it was very interesting, as always, the, the Lions squad. There's, there's plenty of, of surprises. And um, I think for me, you know, Bundy, Bundy Aki getting in was, was certainly left field. You know, he didn't play a whole lot in the Six Nations. He's had, you know, pretty good form with, with Connacht without shooting the lights out. So he was definitely one that, that stood out for me. Plenty of disappointments in there, you know, with the likes of um, James Ryan, Johnny Sexton, even someone like Keen Healy, I thought, you know, had, had a lot of good form going for him and, and you know, has, has probably been picked ahead of Andrew Porter, but um, might have lost out to the fact that Porter can play both sides of the scrum, which is invaluable when you can only have, you know, 37 in your squad. Yeah. What, um, what about you, Frank? Who were you most surprised that that was left out, first of all? Ah, oh, it's it's got to be Johnny. Um, I would have been convinced he was going. So, uh, really got it for him now. Um, to be honest, I, I was shocked. I think everyone would have been shocked at that call. So, um, sure the coaches have their their reasons, but um, maybe the fact that there was no Irish coach, you know, on that coaching ticket, no voice there to maybe you know talk reason into it, because I think that that they'll miss him over there personally. But um. On a more positive note, I think, well, sorry, CJ Stander, I mean, uh, a lot of Irish people would have thought he would have been in, in a good position to go. Um, but on the flip side of that, you have you know Jack Conan going, who is definitely a bolter. And I can kind of see why they've picked him as well. You know, he only played in um, the win over England, which was a really impressive performance by him. But I think they've obviously gone for a number eight who has that a to shift the ball and he's got you know great footwork in there in the contact area and I think coming up against the South Africans such big men he could be really worthwhile over there so I was delighted to see him get to see him getting picked as well. I want to dive a little bit deeper into I suppose you mentioned Bundy at the start Ian and then obviously Sexton's not in and CJ like they're three really big emissions that when we were picking our squad we definitely had them three in anyway so we were we were well wrong but there's obviously more to it. Like you have to see Bundy as a player that, you know, will be physical against the South Africans. That's clearly the reason why he's picked. And if we look deeper into why um, Johnny Sexton isn't picked, like is it down to, is it solely down to his concussion or is it that they don't know the player he is both on and off the field? I think when you look with, with the Bundy selection, if you look at the guys who've, probably missed out most you'd probably say Henry Slade and and Gary Ringrose and if the tour was in Australia I think Gary or Slade would definitely be going ahead of Bundy but because it's South Africa and how their style of rugby is so physical the coaches have obviously decided to go with a bit more power there and so it's definitely fallen in his favour that the tour this year is in, in South Africa I think for Johnny I, I wouldn't be overly concerned with the you know the injury stuff. I think he'll he'll bounce back. He usually does, and he usually bounces back with form straight away. You know, he, there's been six nations that he's been leading into and had niggling injuries. Gets to game one and he he always performs. Um, the biggest frustration for him there, you'd, you'd look at the guys who've been picked ahead of him, the likes of 
um, you know, Farrell or, or or Russell. He completely outplayed them in the, in the Six Nations. You know, I, I think I think Dan Bigger definitely deserves to go. He's you know he he led Wales throughout the Six Nations. They won the competition. You know, I, I'd have no qualms with that. But I'd be very much in in the same camp with with Fergus that you know Johnny offers a huge amount both on the field and off it. And I think they'll really miss him. You know, even if you look at goal kicking, like Russell's goal kicking for me is not good enough. Um, and if that's going to be an issue on tour, that they're going to go to the second test and go, well, we actually can't pick this guy because his goal kicking is not reliable enough. That's when you'd need someone like Johnny to be in the picture and go, well, look, he can actually sure things up for us, win the second test and make it go down to a decider. Yeah, but if you look at the other hand, like um, you've got Bigger who can kick, you've got Stuart Hogg who can kick, there's Farrell who can kick that I probably named at other positions instead of out half, like obviously Farrell and Hogg as well there. So they obviously looked at it and brought a squad that they feel could, you know, be a, a well-rounded squad as well at the same time, but it definitely is one of the big shocks. Um, I suppose Keith Earls is another one, I think, um, as a winger, Fred, do you think he was good enough to go... Um, or third test? It would have been third third uh third tour, yeah. Um he yeah, he would have been up there, like we were talking about him anyway. Um so I think even someone like Josh Adams, right? Yeah, he has he played in a team that won the Six Nations, you know, that they 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 won the competition and the team that wins the competition inevitably gets the most players picked. You know, Warren Gatland knows them so well before Wayne Pivak came in. So that would have fallen in Josh Adams' favour. I'd say, you know, Keith would have lost out maybe to someone like him. Uh, actually, Duhan van der Merwe as well. Um, he, in fairness, he had a brilliant Six Nations. And they're obviously bringing him because he, he has an X factor that other wingers that they're bringing probably don't have. You know, he's he's almost like a, um, a Northern Hemisphere version of, of Jonah Lomu. Like, he breaks so many tackles. It's phenomenal. And, and against the bigger guys down there in South Africa, he could be a really good weapon. But going back to the the centres that was picked, actually, and I I, I agree with you, Mads, about uh, Gary Ringrose and, and Henry Slade. You know, they'll definitely be extremely disappointed because, you know, look at someone like Chris Harris. You know, he played pretty well at times during the Six Nations, but he was certainly a bolter. I didn't see him going. So um, to take someone like him... And I think someone like him would point out maybe the reason that maybe specialist positions going to the, the on a tour like the Lions tour sometimes miss out because he can kind of play 12, 13, or he can even play on the wing. So um, I'm sure that fell fell in his favour for that one. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I definitely think as well, like timing and injuries definitely played a factor in some of the, the key Irish guys missing out. You know, Gary hasn't had a clean run of it over the last six months between breaking his jaw. You know, he's been in and out. He hasn't had the opportunity to string together three, four, five performances on the bounce where he's gathering momentum and people are all talking about him. James Ryan's, you know, a similar one. He had injury issues at the start of the year. His form, you know, in reality hasn't been to the incredibly high standard he's, he, he has set himself. But I think... The likes of of um, of himself and Johnny Gray can feel hard done by with with the likes of Courtney Laws getting in ahead of him. Yeah, absolutely. And even going back there to, to the James Ryan comment there, like Hugo Manye had him absolutely tipped to start there with Mario Otoje. Mm. Um, like I think we all had him on our list at, at some stage when we were making our teams and. There's just so many surprises, both in and both out, that there are so many talking points about this selection, not just on the Irish squad alone. Like, you know, if you think of it, there's like Sexton, Ryan, Ringrose, Josh Navidi, Billy Vonopola, CJ Standard, Keith Earls, Kyle Sinclair. Like, all those players haven't made it. And I think, you know, we would have definitely put, what, five out of that gang of them on, on, our, on our teams, for sure. Um, I suppose going on to the ones that are selected, and we kind of touched on it at the start there, but there is... Um, you know, well deserved, I suppose, with the with the lads that are there. You know, some of the lads we had on our squad, Henderson, has been playing well and has always been playing well. I suppose from your Ulster perspective, Ian, you know, he he'll obviously be delighted and absolutely well deserved from him. Yeah, certainly. I think like the likes of himself and 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 Ty Byrne, I think has been the 
you know, probably the form back five player in Europe over the last, you know, two seasons, you know, consistently coming up with turnovers. He gets through a huge amount of work. I wonder were they concerned about his size? He's probably not the biggest guy, but you know, his ability to get over the over the ball probably counteracted that. And and he's he's someone who I was delighted to see travel. Another one who I was I was very happy to see go is Sam Simmons. I think he's been fantastic. You know, obviously played against him in the premiership the last couple of seasons. He's he's definitely drawn the short straw with Eddie Jones. I don't know what's happened there, but you know, he hasn't had a look in despite being European player of the year, premiership player of the year. And he he's backed up that form from last year, this year. Um, I think it's, it's unfortunate that they've they've gone for him over CJ. You know, that would have been a, a great story there. But I think we've been speaking about it previously, Fergie. You know, Jack Conan, someone who probably has a bit more to his game. It's not, it's not just a straight up and down ball carrier. He's a great offloading game. He's got great footwork. You know, he's someone who, who could definitely string together some good performances and, and put his hand up for, for a starting position in, in one of the tests. Yeah, I think those two eights, like even you taking those two two eights in isolation, Jack Cohn and Sam Simmons, that kind of points straight away towards uh, the Lions playing a certain way and, and maybe not playing the way that Gatlin's teams have always played. Maybe they, you know, realise that going over to South Africa and trying to, trying to, beat them physically it's just not going to be doable so picking those guys would show that maybe they're going to move the ball around a lot more um because those guys have that they have that footballing ability with the ball in hand but they're both so quick and their footwork is is brilliant in contact so um it's an interesting one yeah another interesting talking point is there's obviously quite a few Scottish coaches involved this year and it's the most that it's the most biggest representation of Scotland ever this century. So eight Scottish players, um, one of them notably being Hamish Watson, who has been spectacular during the Six Nations and I think absolutely well served. He was a guy we, we chatted a lot about, um, and his impact on the game. And it's it's well deserved his selection as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, coming off the Six Nations, he was player of the tournament. You know, the player of the tournament has to deserve to go. He, he he has his own style of play. He's very good at getting over the ball. He's you know he's a bit of a pocket rocket of a ball carrier. Um, it will be very interesting to see how he goes for the Lions. You know he's he's got a very specific role in that Scottish team. You know whether he can nail down a starting spot on you know on that open side flank for the Lions. It will be very interesting to see how he goes in in the, you know the, the kind of prelim preliminary matches. Um, but yeah, look, he he's such an exciting player, and as Ferg said. He's someone who has an offloading game. He's got very good footwork. And for someone who's not the biggest of guys, he he certainly packs a punch, you know, far, far bigger than than, than the weight he carries. Yeah, I think yeah. that um Tom Curry going at the other seven as as probably the other seven as well. Like I'd look at that and think that he I understand where they pick him because he's he's extremely physical, but I didn't think he had his best six nations. And I don't actually think he's been playing his best rugby the last number of months. And I feel for Josh van der Fleer because he was in the conversation um, with, uh, amongst us, but amongst a lot of pundits were, were pointing him out. I know Sam Warburton was talking about him and a number of guys from the way he played with Ireland and um, and with Leinster when he went back there in the, in the knockout game. So uh, he'll certainly feel hard done by, done by, but I suppose they have a bit of both there with Hamish Watson, as you said, Mads. Uh, small, very good at getting over the ball. And then you've got um, the flip side, you've got Curry, who brings that physicality when they need it. Yeah. Who are you most excited to see? Like, you know, the squad is named. There's 37 phenomenal players there. Some surprises, some not so surprises. Um, Fred, who are you most excited about, you know, getting an opportunity to play in, I suppose, the biggest test of, you know, rugby? Well, I'm so excited for them all. I, I think... From an Irish perspective, I, I have to say that for the likes of Jack Conan and um, and Tyg Byrne, you know, they, in ways that they've both done it the hard way, you know, Tyg Byrne's journey to get to this point is a pretty cool story. You know, being left out by Leinster, heading over to Scarlets, forging his way over there, winning a Pro 12 uh, trophy with them coming back and being one of the mainstays in the Munster side and now in the Irish side and all of a sudden 
he's playing for the Lions. So phenomenal um, kind of uh, rise for him. And it's been it's been cool to watch. So very excited to see him pull the jersey on. And then the, the other one, again, is probably... Um, is probably Jack Conan and, and Robbie Henshaw because Jack Conan has had a tough few seasons with injury, you know, and people kind of forgot about Jack for a while because the likes of Caelan Doris were playing so well. CJ was repeatedly playing well for, for Ireland, but any chance he got in this small window when he's been fit the last six, seven, where around six or seven months, he's been incredible and he showed just how different to eight he is. So delighted to see him go. And, and lastly, uh, Robbie Henshaw, because, you know, just like anyone, when that's getting called out on TV, I'm sure he was as nervous as Adam Wynn Jones, as would have been as um, Johnny Hill or or, or, or Sam Simmons or, or um, some other bolters that might other people might have not have seen coming. But uh, Robbie getting the nod and knowing that he's going, he's he's in the best form of his life. So uh, I'm I'm really excited to see him. Hopefully he'll be um, he'll play himself into the test side once he gets over there. Yeah. What about you, Ian? Who are you most excited about? No surprise there. Fergie's excited for all the Leinster boys. Um, but Ty's actually a monster <laughs> player, would you believe? I know, but he was previously with Leinster. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think you the two wingers... For... <laughs> <laughs> Just like you casted me as well. Um... <laughs> right, only ever talked to you. It's been five years since I've spoken to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the two wingers in in Zamet and Van der Merv, you know, they're they're two Duan Van der Merv. They're they're two really exciting guys. It'd be interesting to see how they go in in, in the the warm up games. That back three, you know, I'm sure Hogg will na- nail down that the 15 slot. They're going to be really really exciting to watch. Coming up against. You know, probably the best back three in the world in in, in South Africa. I mean, like six months ago, we were inside in that studio chatting about Six Nations. I think it was Autumn Nations, and you were talking about this Reese Samick guy. Like, what? So, who the hell is this guy? Like, what a journey for him! Yeah, look, it's been incredible. I think when you've got speed, the, the speed that he possesses, you just need to get opportunities, and and when you do get those opportunities, you make the most of them. And we saw in the Six Nations once he gets a glimmer. You know, to open up, the guy's uncatchable. Um, he's, you know, I, I'd love to know what speed times he's running, but I'd say it's, you know, 11, 12 meters per second. I'd say if you ran the 100, he'd go close to break in 10 seconds. Um, and he's, he's, a, he's a very good rugby player on top of that. It's not like he's just, you know, all out speed. He's good in the air. He's physical when he needs to be. He's got good footwork. You know, it, it, he, he is such an exciting guy to watch. And and I, I knew from, from being in, in Bristol that, Gloucester were really excited about him last year and the few chances he got in the Premiership, he, he stepped up and he really deserved his chance for, for Wales and he took it with both hands. So it's it's great to see someone like that, you know, young. It, it reminds me, Fergie, a bit like Lukey Fitz. Like, Lukey Fitz made the, the Lions tour, um, I think he was only maybe two years out of school. You know, was, that was back in 2009 and, and arguably played the best rugby of his life on that tour. Yeah, and Earls as well. Keith Earls went on that tour as a bolter, and um, yeah, I mean, fr- fr- from um, the other nations, like he would definitely be the standout for me. The likes of the likes of Reece Samet, like the stuff he's been doing in the Six Nations on the on the biggest stage for the first time. Um, he does have that speed, but I was actually very impressed with his defense, as Mad said, and they, like some wingers are very fast and they score some tries and they have a bit of space, but he's actually been scoring tries in small spaces. And, and when he's getting knocked into touch, you know, he has that awareness, uh, uh, spatial awareness that only the really, really top finishers like Brian Habana do. So I think from a Northern Hemisphere perspective, he's one of the most exciting talents, talents to go down um, as a back, as a backline um, weapon, probably in, a, in an awful long time. Yeah. Ferg, did you think that that some of the English guys were a bit lucky to to get in? Like, obviously, they'd have you know incredibly disappointing Six Nations. The likes of Karen Dickey and and um, Jamie George, Jamie George, yeah. But I, I would have thought that I would have thought maybe both of those were were lucky enough. And this again comes back to the argument we're having. You know, hookers up for grabs aside from Ken Owens and. 
I suppose it seems like he's kind of gone with tried and trusted in in Jamie George and then going for um, that kind of a little bit of more of a mobile option in, in Cowan Dickey because he, he is uh, he is a little bit quicker. He's better at getting around the field. But yeah, two, two lucky guys to go. I mean, if you look at England's Six Nations and, and how they fared and how they played, you know, a, a number of their guys can, can see themselves as lucky. Like if you're going to say Johnny Saxon is extremely unlucky to go, then you'd have to say that Owen Farrell is extremely lucky to go because I didn't think he had a good Six Nations. And I, I you know, that he it was a shock that he was included and Johnny wasn't because, yeah, Dan Bigger, brilliant. He had a brilliant Six Nations. They won the competition fine. Finn Russell, he does something different. Maybe the other tens don't bring. Grand, you bring him. But between Johnny and Owen, I, I, I don't understand how Johnny wasn't picked. I, pres- I, c- I can only presume it was because he plays 12 as well. Yeah, like even looking at the way the squad was laid out, just with the, like the halfbacks, the out halves, it was just bigger and Russell that were down as the out halves, and um, Farrell was named in the centre. So obviously, it's just like I said, having the tools and the toolkit there to be able to use, to get the best out of the players that you have, and that's probably unfortunate for Johnny, as we can yeah. see. You're very yeah, but they're going to play him. I guarantee you, he'll play a lot of ten over there. Yeah, I guarantee he'll play a lot of ten. I, well, maybe, but maybe they'll prove me wrong, but. I could see him playing. I could see him playing more ten than twelve over there. That'd be my opinion. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. Like, sure, even in a match day squad, you need you know one starting and one on the bench. So there's only three of them over there. You know, with the with the quick turnaround of games, he's going to have to either be playing out half or covering out half. Um. So yeah, no, I'd I'd certainly agree with that. The other one that we spoke about Fergie last week on the show was um, you know, the concern with the Saracens players, like coming off a poor Six Nations, they now won't have had any challenging games for, you know, four months leading into the the tour. So you've got like the likes of Farrell, Vonapolo, um, obviously Jamie Toge. George and Atoje, who have very little rugby under their belt going on, on the tour. And we saw how that affected them at the start of the Six Nations. It's going to have to be a concern for, for the, the Lions. You'd imagine so, yeah. And I'd say those guys will get thrown straight in once those midweek games start, you know, and they'll get exposed there. To be fair, you know, just from from what I hear, you know, the 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 training for the Lions is quite physical pretty quickly. So, you know, I'd imagine they'll be brought up to speed on that front. But in terms of competitive matches, but really bar the guys that um we playing a little bit of Rainbow Cup. Is that up to the same standard? No, it's not. So, like, I think a lot of them will be a lot. Yeah, a lot of them will be in in similar boats. But you know, for the likes of an Atoje, and to be fair to be Farrell, still shocked that he went. You know, but to be fair to him and Atoje, they are the type of players that like they they are so good. Sometimes they can come off the back of not playing for quite a while and and getting up to that level. So we'll just have to wait and see. Right. We'll yeah. be back in just a moment and we'll be chatting to South African journalist Craig Ray. To take you there, here is House of Rugby UK's Lee McKenzie talking to Lions backs coach Gregor Townsend after today's squad announcement. Well, Gregor, great to see you. Um, an interesting announcement that has certainly captured the minds of the rugby world. Um, when you look at that squad, let's start from, if we may, a Scottish point of view. You must be very proud of the number of Scots that there are in this British and Irish Lions squad. Yes, um, I'm delighted for the players that are selected. Uh, I can only imagine what it's been like for them this morning, um, building up to the to the announcement. So, no, we we, we know. Uh, I know those those guys, and I'm, I'm very pleased for them. I know they'll be they'll be excellent lines from again the guys that have missed out, whether they're from Scotland, Ireland, England, or Wales. I know how tough it is. Um, I got the, the dreaded phone call in 2001. Uh, to say I wasn't going to be part of that tour, so it, it is really tough. It's you, you reflect back on it, thinking it's one of the biggest disappointments of your career. So mixed emotions, but obviously very delighted for for those eight Scots. Yeah, that's interesting as well from your point of view because you're obviously sitting here with your coach's cap on, but the fact that you have been there, you've experienced the highs and, and that disappointment, as you mentioned, it must give you a sort of great insight into to the minds of the, the people who have been selected today and also those who have missed out because big names have missed out. Yeah, and, that, and that's a testament to the quality of player that 
the four countries are producing. Uh, the last couple of Six Nations have been really competitive between those four countries. And you now see some big names not going. Like the, the debates that we had around each position, they were, more, they were difficult because, you know, there's one, sometimes three or four players that could easily be excellent lines in the summer and may yet still be a, a line. There's, there will be injuries between now and, before, and when we leave to South Africa. There'll be injuries in those first couple of weeks. But yeah, I, I, I do feel for, for those that miss out. But obviously, you've got to look forward to the, the group that you're going to work with. Those 37 players are outstanding players and they'll be, they'll be excited. They'll be, they can't wait to come in, I'd imagine, and get to know their teammates, get to know what's happening over this next few weeks. And you mentioned 37 players because originally, um, until last night, it was 36 players that everyone was talking about. And then Warren sneaked another one in. Yeah, well, we, we didn't know if that was going to be confirmed to last night as well. So we, we finalised the selection around about five o'clock and we were hoping that we'd get the OK for 37 because we'd have to go back and someone would have to be um, taken off the list. And then around about seven o'clock last night, we got the thumbs up. So then we could have a, a couple of drinks. <laughs> And it was, it was a big relief. Like yeah. We're really excited about the squad, but to, to finally get to the, the position where we can announce the group and get on to, to looking forward to working with the group was, was great. Alan Wynne-Jones, uh, let's have a, a nod to him. Um, he has broken all records in terms of Test match appearances. He is so highly decorated, and to get this honour as the captain of the Lions, it really is the, the cherry on top of the cake, isn't it? Yeah, he, uh, this is fourth Lions tour. That, already that is a huge achievement. So many uh, test caps and so many wins. Uh, to come back this year um, after winning, um, becoming most capped test player and then to go on and lead his team to, to Six Nations Championships shows the influence he has over others. Shows his yeah. own ability, his own durability, but the influence over his team to turn them into winners is something that we are obviously more than hoping, where we're confident he'll, he'll do the same with the Lions. Gregor, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. Craig, thank you so much for coming on with us all the way from South Africa. Have you been flat out since the squad was named earlier on this evening? Yeah, absolutely. And sort of happened right on deadline for us. So, um, you know, I had to just get uh, some names out and then obviously rewriting. I think the Duan Fundamava angle is quite good from a South African point of view as well. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, actually. Yeah. And what what are you making of the, I suppose, the major omissions from the squad? I suppose, notably being a Munster person here and an Irish, you know, CJ Stander, that South African connection would have been nice, but it's still nice to have the, have the Van der Merve connection as well. Yeah, I'm not too surprised CJ Thunder was left out. I suppose when he announced that he you know, was retiring and he was still eligible to the end of the international window, I think he maybe knew what was coming. Um, so, you know, he's a good player and, you know, he is probably going to be in South Africa at the time. So I haven't seen the official sort of long list of reserves. Perhaps he's on that and, you know, he would be quite a handy guy to have, you know, in Pretoria ready to hop into a bubble if needs be. Yeah, absolutely. What are... What are the big surprises down in South Africa? Like what what names are making headlines at the moment, either from being selected or from not being selected? Well, I think, you know, looking at some of the omissions, um, you know, I suppose Johnny Sexton is a big surprise and he's such a you know, a big name. And uh, I know he's had his injury problems and his form hasn't been great, but, you know, he's been there and done it. He's got a lot of experience. So I'm quite surprised Sexton, you know, isn't at least in the in the, in the the broader squad. Um, James Ryan's another one, you know, good, tough forward. Um, you know, they, you know, I guess someone like Courtney Laws is, you know, pretty physical character as well. So, yeah, it probably came down to maybe that call. Um, and then, then you know, the rest, uh, I guess it's selection, right? They, they're such close calls. Um, you know, there's, there's a few here and there you could argue about, but, uh, you know, not knowing enough of the players club form I, I reckon Gatlin's probably got it spot on it's quite a small line squad as well by recent sort of history of probably three or four players fewer than before so I guess that limited options around the squad selection do you think that um 
you guys, Craig, from a South African perspective, do you, do you think it will be a challenge, you know, getting up to speed? You know, these Lions guys, granted, they're coming from different nations, you know, but they have played a Six Nations. They've played high-level club rugby, most of them European-wise. And then you know, on the flip side, you've got a South African team that, yeah, they they are the World Cup winners, but the last game they had together was in the World Cup final and they're about to play the best of 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 um four nations up here. You know, it's gonna be a big challenge for them because the only warm up game you guys have is is the United States. Yeah, that's uh, well that's definitely a challenge, but I guess you know, they they just have to live with it. There is, you know, a lot of the overseas-based Springboks have been playing regularly club rugby in, in the Northern Hemisphere. So there's quite a few players out of sort of France, England um, that have been getting some game time. And then we have had some domestic competitions going. And the Rainbow Cup South African uh, version started last week. And I must say, it was the first time I felt uh, the Sharks played against the Stormers. Um, so it was sort of brought Sia Khaleesi against his old team. And it was the first time I felt watching domestic rugby since sort of lockdown that there was a real intensity about the game and it was quite a high quality match and it was good to see the guy it looked like they just flicked a switch and they were into it and it's sort of peter steph de toy for instance he came back after 398 days out of rugby um nearly lost his leg nearly had to be amputated last early last march uh, you know has multiple operations you know had a a 10-inch scar down his thigh, uh, you know, lost nearly 15 kilograms of muscle mass, has come back, first game in 398 days, and it was like it was the World Cup final all over again. He was absolutely smashing guys. And I saw mm. Sia Khaleesi yesterday, uh, and I was just chatting to him, and I, I said, Sia, how was, you know, never mind your, your form, what did you think of Peter Steff's form? And he just sort of shook his head and smiled, and he said, that's just amazing. That guy is a machine, and that's that's what we need. Uh, so I think there's a lot of confidence. You know, they they just sort of flick a switch. These guys when they get on, and if they've got a bit of game time under the belt, which they will have from domestic rugby, when they get into that Springbok bubble, they'll it 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 will be you know all out gung ho. And I, I think they'll be. I think you'll be surprised how formidable they'll be. We'll be surprised how formidable mm. they'll be as well. We actually had Peter Steff on the show um, a couple of months ago and his story was just phenomenal. I think he was a good distance away from returning to the field of rugby and obviously with COVID and that it, it, things were challenging, but he, he was phenomenal and his story was phenomenal. And and to play at the weekend, I, I saw the tweet, didn't see the game, but, you know, it just brought such joy when, you know, as athletes as well, you do anything to get back out on the field. And with, yeah, as you said, 390 days out, it's it's a phenomenal layoff from rugby and to be as sharp as he was is I suppose a testament to him and, and his hard work but you said it there you know um you know what what way will South Africa play like the the, the squad that he has named you know it's going for the big ball carriers as well but you know people like Bundy, Aki and Chris Harris over Gary Ringrose and Henry Slade like is that a, is that because of the way that South Africa will play like what will we expect from South Africa? Yeah, I, look, I, South Africa will play like you saw them play in the World Cup. In the World Cup, and, and I, when I say in the World Cup, I mean in the knockout stages of the World Cup. So, yeah, it's percentage rugby. It's the bomb squad coming off the bench. It's you know set piece defence, all those things you kind of associate with South African rugby, and it's just how sharp they'll be. Uh, that's that's not going to change a hell of a lot. You know, uh, the high felt will make it slightly faster, and perhaps you know uh, these two tests on the high felt. Um, yeah, they'll be they'll be quite high tempo games, but they'll bring that tempo to the style they have, and they won't change the style. It'll just you know maybe quicker ruck ball, maybe a few more options running off the rucks, um, and yeah, it will be sort of big big runners down the fly off inside centre channel. Uh, Peter Steph Toy, Sia Khaleesi running onto flat passes. So someone like Bandiaki in that channel will be quite quite you know, crucial. So yeah, I don't think you'll see anything different from the Springboks. It will be. World Cup knockout rugby because it's a three-test series, which is essentially a World Cup knockout, isn't it? I think um, I thought actually South Africa's biggest weapon at the last World Cup that people probably didn't talk about as much was actually their defensive line, line speed that they brought. And I think the amount of tries that they actually scored off the back of their defense and turning the ball over yeah. and knocking teams behind the game line, putting pressure on, you know, getting the likes of Peter Steff and Khaleesi over the ball, 
was phenomenal. I think that was just a team throughout the World Cup. And you saw in the in the final, England just couldn't break them down. And after what they did to the All Blacks, it was it just made it so impressive. And I think it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting one to see what way the Lions are gonna approach that and try and break them down um with their attacking strategy. And I actually think we talked just before you came on there. I think some of the selections from Warren Gatland would point towards them trying to move the ball around a bit, you know, and trying to maybe um, use certain plays with certain players in certain positions to get the ball to the edges and and, and shift around this very, very big um, South African team. Yeah, I, I mean, Gatlin's a smart coach. And, yeah, you look at some of those selections, Harris, um, Finn Russell, if he's in the test mix, uh, you know, uh, Stuart Hogg, great runners. Um, but, you know, great runners are only as good as the platform they're going to be running off. And if uh, their forwards are not winning the battle, it's going to be difficult to be sort of, you know, trying to get the ball to the tips when you're on the back foot against a Springbok defense that will, will be in your face all day. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it certainly won't, maybe the Springboks won't be as cohesive as they were at the World Cup just through lack of game time. Uh, that might be one factor that makes their defence less watertight. And I think that's why it's crucial Jacques Ninaba will be hoping that most of the World Cup players are fit because then he doesn't have to you know, educate a new player in the defensive system or in what's what's required. So if Dale Enders fit, uh, Pollard's just come back, which is crucial. Um, Faf de Klerk's fit. You know, if those guys can stay fit. Lucanio Am's playing for the Sharks. He's fit. Um, and Cheslin Colby's, of course, in great form uh, in, in France. And... Um, yeah, then it just comes down to you know, the the full Springbok backline, particularly in the defensive line being fit, and they all look like they are. They got some problems. The Springboks lock is looking a worry. Um, you know, Eben Esbeth's just come back. Lurt de Jager's touch and go. R.G. Snowman's touch and go. Um, I think Franco Most has just come back to action. So the four World Cup locks. Two of them are, are only just returning to action now, and we don't know what their fitness. So that's going to be a big blow to the Springboks if they have to find new second rowers, um, you know, in terms of what they plan to do with the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Snyman actually had a setback again last week after coming back from that ACL injury. So that's, I suppose, not good news for you. But again, like playing high quality rugby week in, week out is is key to those players. And like, no doubt they will gel together. And obviously, the the Lions will have this, a similar problem. You know, you're bringing four nations together and sure. you suppose you have to get a game plan and a system in place and it, it all makes for very, very exciting rugby. But in South Africa, how is the excitement building as a nation? You know, will will stadiums be full? Will, the, will there be spectators allowed at the games? Like, what is what do we think the plans are? Uh, the stadiums won't be full, uh, that's for sure. If there are, if, if there are fans at the, at the stadiums, it will be limited numbers so there's still a lot of discussion going on actually i spoke to someone at uh, saru today and they they really are hoping that government um, and apparently the word was there's been some progress so it looks like national government might concede to allowing some fans into the stadium but i don't think it'll be more than ten thousand, uh you know at any at any given moment and that's just a guess based on some conversations i've had um so it's going to be a very different lines tour for everyone right and especially for the lions i mean you know, even as a as the host nation, one of the great things about the Lions is the tens of thousands of red shirts you see in the stands and the atmosphere that brings, the unique atmosphere it brings. And that's all going to be gone. And um, it's going to be tough on the players. Um, I, but I guess they've got used to that, haven't they? I mean, I thought the Six Nations delivered some massively intense games in empty stadiums. Uh, yeah, I thought it was some pretty high-quality um, stuff in the Six Nations. So... We know the players can deliver the intensity despite you know, the external factors that are not, not working in their favour. And I think the Springbok players will be the same. You know, it's, it's what you know, they, it, they find the, the passion from within. You know, they don't run out and play for the 80,000 people in the stadium. They play for other things, as we've heard with the Springboks. They play for the people back home or, or poverty. Sia Khaleesi's playing for you know, starving kids in in places that you know he comes from that they they draw on that internal motivation and i'm sure the lions play as well as well um so i think the intensity will be there it's just for us as viewers it's going to be a, a slightly hollow experience but i think i think ideally you know it would be great to have fans in whatever capacity but even if there isn't though craig you know i 
I can imagine it'll, it'll still provide an enormous buzz and, and lift for the South African people. I know it will back here for all of the countries watching um, because, you know, for quite a while there was question marks whether it was going to go ahead. So um, the lines even just getting over there and making sure this goes ahead is the main thing because I'm sure the South African people need a lift as, as everyone else does. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, Springbok Rugby, as you pointed out, we, you know, by the time they play the first or the the USA test will be something close to 600 days since they previously played a test match. So, um, yeah, South Africans are dying to see the world champions playing. And, uh, yeah, when the Lions tour was confirmed, that was uh, a lot of happy people. And I think today the naming of the Lions squad just makes it real. It just makes it feel like it's it's going to happen. You know, after all the angst and all the uncertainty of the last year uh, it just felt like we had a pivotal moment today and in, in you know for this particular tour but for South African rugby as well and make no mistake South African rugby needs the revenue from the television money we're going to lose a bit of revenue on on the gate but uh, you know the television money is going to make a massive massive impact to South Africa's coffers and and yeah rugby if, if this line Insiders have told me if the Lions tour doesn't go ahead, South African rugby could collapse. I mean, it's that it's that vital to the rugby economy in South Africa. Yeah, it's more than just rugby, isn't it? When you when you spell it out like that, there's a lot more on the line for it. But I think, you know, we we as a podcast have talked a lot about the Lions, and we are absolutely super excited that it finally has has got to go ahead, and the games will go ahead. With, squad names and everything it's it's definitely building um I suppose one thing that I never mentioned just in our earlier chat was you know going through the positions and that we never mentioned the back row really apart from CJ Stander being um an omission a clear admission there but what I think it will be an absolutely huge battle in the back row whoever whoever I selected but in relation to the Lions what three players do you see them going with in the back row like is he going to go on form power strength what will he do well, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I, I look. I think Felatar's a yeah, got to be a, yeah, a starter if he's fit and playing well. And and then it just depends how he wants to combine his his, his flanks. Does he want to go for a sort of a smaller, uh, you know, um, jackal to the ball? Maybe someone like Hamish Watson. Uh, but then I guess with the Springboks physicality, you're going to have to balance it out with maybe a second really big back row and maybe Courtney Laws starts at blindside flank um, mm-hmm. if you go with Hamish Watson. Um, that might be quite a smart back row against the Springboks with Laws playing in the flank and, and a, a big number eight and then a Hamish Watson type player because someone like Laws will also give you more line-out options which will also put a lot of pressure on the Springboks. So, you know, that's just a thumb suck. Well, Mario Toje as well can play six. Sure, exactly. Mario Toje can as well. So, there's options there and... Um, you know, I guess that's part of it. I I don't know how you guys feel, but you know, is Alan Wynne Jones guaranteed a starting place in the test lineup? I mean, I know yeah, there was a comment Gatlin made today on TV where he said, you know, he's the touring captain, but he's got to he's got to sort of perform well enough to you know to make the team. And that sort of just got me thinking: is is Wynne Jones necessarily the first choice starter, second rower? Um, I guess he would have to be in the first test, but uh, it sounds like there's some thought going into that as well. Well, Craig, we got it completely wrong. We had we had predicted our lines team a few weeks back, and we were we were way off. I'm sure, like a lot of the people out there. So, who knows what's <laughs> what's going to happen? But um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, from chatting to myself and Fergus, um, we'll be back in a moment with Victor Matfield and Ian Madigan. If you haven't already done so, click subscribe on House of Rugby Ireland to never miss a show. All right, we have Ian back in with us for part three and it is our real pleasure to welcome along 127 times cap Springbok legend and star of the 2009 Test Series with the Lions, Victor Matfield. Victor, welcome back to the show. You were on with us about 12 months ago. Um, little did we know we would still be living in a world so badly affected by COVID-19, but how is all down in South Africa? Yeah, Thank you very much. Um, yeah, we didn't know if we're going to see a line series here in South Africa. We didn't know if we they coming here or we're going there. I still think we don't know if there's going to be fans in the stadium, but um, at least the tour is going ahead. We're very excited. Everyone in South Africa can't wait. Uh, we haven't had a lot of 
domestic rugby as well. Uh, we've been following quite a lot of the European rugby, but um, yeah, it's great. And we can't wait for the British Irish Lions to arrive in South Africa. Yeah, it's great to finally have some confirmation of, of fixtures and that where it's on. There was so much talk about it so early on. But before we get started into the Lions chat, I'm looking at your camera there and I can see a lovely array of jerseys behind you. Um, pride of place an Irish jersey up on your wall. Yeah, I think um, every South African loves going up to Europe at the end of the year, normally over November. And um, yeah, so I collected one of each country. Never had the opportunity to win a Grand Slam. We were actually in 2000 and uh, what was that? 10. I was captaining the side and uh, we actually came very close to winning the Grand Slam. And then we lost against Scotland in a very wet Murrayfield. Uh, the one game that we thought was probably going to be the easy one. So I uh, oh, got close to it, but um, yeah, great to play against the European countries and uh, the Five Nations teams like that up there. Victor, it would have been great to, um, obviously the Rainbow Cup didn't happen the way it was planned with all the travelling, but it would have been a great opportunity to travel, obviously, like you said, some of Europe and for some of the European teams to travel down to a warmer climate. But um, it is great, I suppose, that there is some rugby happening in South Africa. Yeah, we're getting into the Rainbow Cup. It's not uh, part of the uh, Pro 14 at the moment, but hopefully later on we'll be able to join. Um, it's nice to see the teams also with all the Springboks and everyone that's playing in South Africa, almost our top teams that would play in the old days in the Super Rugby um, competition. So, yeah, it's good rugby. Uh, they've got some time to prepare and to play themselves into the South African team. We actually had a nice chat to Jock Nienamber on Monday evening. Uh, we have a Super Rugby show here on Monday evenings. We got him into the show and, um, yeah, they look, they sound pretty confident that uh, we'll be able to get the team together. They'll probably have six weeks uh, with the Japanese players and at least four weeks with the whole team together. So, um, yeah, it helps us that a lot of our players are also playing outside of South Africa. So they're playing a lot of rugby. Um, there'll probably be about 30 to 40 percent of the players coming out of South Africa. So um, it's just getting everyone together, getting them to understand the game. But I, I don't think we'll see a lot of changes from the team that has won the World Cup two years back. So I think the Bulls are looking pretty good at the moment. Um, if you look at the last few months or from the beginning of the year with Jake White uh, arriving there, getting in quite a few new players like Dwayne Vermeulen, got Mourne staying back. And he's actually... Um, getting a lot of youngsters. He's giving them a lot of um, playing time at the moment and they're doing very well. So it looks like they've got the old culture back. I think it's 14 games at Loftus uh, unbeaten at the moment. So they're really making Loftus the fortress again, fortress Loftus, like we always talked about it. So um, yeah, the Bulls are looking strong. Um, they've signed Marcel Kutsia as well now. That's a huge signing for the Bulls. Uh, Johan Huysen is coming back from France as well. He's been the European Player of the Year um, a few years back. So, um, yeah, a few good signings. Um, but the nice thing is that they're starting to build a culture, winning culture there. And I mean, two weeks ago they played against, or last week they played against the Lions, only with youngsters, and they still won the game. So, great culture that they're building at the Bulls at the moment. Yeah, Victor, um, I actually had the joy of playing with Marcel in Ulster and, you know, he's a fantastic player and, and an even better person. We were gutted that he was he decided to go back to, to South Africa and, and play with the Bulls. He's certainly someone we'll very much be fearing coming up against. I think we tried to put a clause in his contract that he couldn't play against us. I actually asked for the clause because I don't want him running at me. <laughs> but um, I think... With the likes of him leading the Bulls next year, hopefully we'll see the, the South African teams competing right up at the top of the uh, the Rainbow Cup. No, I think I don't think the European guys have seen the best of South Africa with the Cheetahs and the Kings playing over there. I think with us bringing our four strongest teams over, it will be a different 
um, South African vibe coming into the competition. I mean, if you look at the Bulls team, a loose forwards with Dwayne Vermeer and Marcel Kutsia, um, just a fantastic team. So, um, yeah, I think we'll be very competitive. Uh, also, the coaches, I mean, a guy like Jake White has coached all over the world. Uh, he understands the conditions as well. It's actually a pity we couldn't come over now, I think, because the conditions probably getting better. There's pretty close to the South African conditions um, being summer over there now. Uh, we know it's very difficult November, December when it's really wet. It's just scrumming and driving and kicking most of the time. But um, yeah, I think the players will be able to adapt. But Marcel is a fantastic guy. I, um, I was fortunate enough to play with him. I must say, I think if it wasn't that he had so many injuries, he would have been close to 100 games for South Africa. He's one of those talented players. Unfortunately, all the time, on the wrong times, he gets injuries. But let's hope he'll be ready. Um, he might be a guy that come into that um, Springbok setup um, that weren't at the World Cup that can make a difference uh, against the British. Victor, when, when Ian heard that the you know the Rainbow Cup was going to be formed, he was so happy because you know he was delighted to finally get to play some rugby and some good weather. So Ian is most disappointed that he doesn't get a trip down to South Africa. Yeah, I think the guys will really enjoy it. Um, dry weather, uh, the backs can throw it around. Uh, it's all about pace in the game as well. And it's a different game, especially if you come over to South Africa this time of year. Um, we always said there's one thing playing a test team, normally the test team is big, heavy guys, but in super rugby, the teams that normally won will probably quick teams, that, that loose force that can run around the park, that was very athletic, so it's a different game when it's nice and dry and you can throw it around. Um, uh, the altitude as well, so um, we'll, we'll enjoy um, getting guys over to experience yeah. the altitude as well. I suppose while you're on, we might as well talk about the big talking point today, the Lions Tour. What was your initial response to the announcement? Yes, uh, there was a lot of, of talk, firstly, about the captaincy. Um, I thought they'll go with Alan Wynn. Uh, he's someone everyone is, looks up to. Uh, there was a lot of, lot of talk about uh, Itoji taking the captain's armband, but um, not being the captain of England, I think going into a big squad like that, taking the leadership role will be very difficult. I think Alan has been very successful. Uh, he played really well in the Six Nations as well. He's a guy that everyone respects. Um, I think 157 tests already behind his name, so he's so experienced. Um, so I think he's a great guy leading them. Uh, I had the privilege to have a few nights with him. He leads in the bars as well. So um, not just on the field, he leads <laughs> off the field as well. Um, he's a great guy. So, uh, yeah, and it'll probably be one of his last tours as well. So he'll be, he would like to come out, uh, be successful. He was the uh, winning captain in Australia as well. So um, he knows how to... We, um, we had South African reporter Craig Ray on just before you, and he questioned how much game time Alan Wynn was going to get. Can you see him playing all the tests? Yes, I think so. Uh, don't know if they'll play him through, but I mean, we had John Smith as our captain and we had a guy like uh, Bismarck on the bench and a lot of the time John played 40 to 50 minutes and then Bismarck will come on and then I took over the captaincy from him. So I don't think that's something that bothers the team. And I mean, these days you've got a leadership group as well. So if the captain's not on the field, most of the work gets done off the field pulling the guys together, getting them in the same direction, getting them to buy into the coach's plan. So um, that's going to be very important, but I think he'll start all three test matches if he's kept. There was a good bit of talk in the lead-up to selection about some of the South Africans that could have got picked for the Lions. Um, obviously, CJ Stander missed out, and Duhan van der Merv got, has been selected You know, as one of the wingers for the back three. Was there much talk in South Africa about those two guys? Yeah, we all know that CJ retired now. So um, it would have been, I think it would have been good for the team to have him in the squad. Uh, I don't know if he was available for selection. 
Um, but just someone that knows a bit more of South Africa. It's always nice to have someone like that in your team. When you go to a town, to take the guys around, even just to give them the thinking of the South Africans, how they will think about certain things. So, yeah, I think they could have done with a guy like CJ. But, I mean, if you look at those loose forwards, there's not even space for a Billy Vinipolo that I think is a big surprise that he's not in the team. Um, I think if you want to beat South Africa in South Africa, you probably need a lot of physical players. So, Billy Vinipolo and probably Tuolangi. Uh, I don't know where he's with injury, uh, if he would have been ready for the tour, but those two guys, I would have thought, was probably certainties in the team, and they're not there at the moment. So, um, yeah, interesting, and it's always interesting to see a spot it's like this. Yeah, I think I think 12 months ago, they would have been two guys that would have been probably first on the team sheet. Um, unfortunately for, for Billy Vonopolo, it's been difficult with Saracens being relegated. He hasn't had top-level rugby. He had a poor Six Nations, probably because he was undercooked going into it. And then Tuolagi just simply hasn't played enough rugby. He's you know he's just had injury after injury, and I'd say it's probably just too much of a risk to 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 hope that he'd get back fit. So um, definitely two guys that are unlucky with how things panned out, and and they they are you know big losses to the Lions. Yeah, Victor, focusing on the second row, are you disappointed that James Ryan won't be making an appearance and won't be touring with the Lions? No, again, if you look at the Second rowers, I would say the three first choice guys will probably be Toji, uh, Alan Wynn, and then um, Courtney Laws. I still have, I've played with Courtney um, at Northampton. Um, for South Africa, I think he's the right guy to have there. Uh, he can come off the bench, he can play four and five, he can cover the front and the back spot. So the three of them are there. So, yeah, it's always difficult. There's always guys losing out. There's always guys being injured just before tour, like you said, with the Billy and uh, Tualangi, not having enough time. And then you have to decide. I mean, we did it in 2015 where we took probably about five, six guys that haven't played a lot of rugby, but we knew when if we get to the playoff stages, there'll be so much. They'll be, they'll be very um, important for the team. And, we lost against Japan because we thought that's the opportunity to give them playing time. So it's always a risk. But um, in the long run, you, you must decide once you get to those test matches, who's going to be able to win your test matches? And um, are you able, and especially, especially in a big squad like this, to take risk with one or two key players, take them into the tournament a little uncooked? Um, a lot of players have said that the the 2009 tour of South Africa was, you know, up there with the very best of tours any of them, any of them have been on. Obviously, South Africa is an incredible country to to visit, and you know the people are very friendly and the the climate's very accommodating in itself. But I, I also think the timing of the tour was was great. You know, social media wasn't taking over. You know, players were able to get out and experience that. You know the the great things that South Africa has to offer. For you guys on the other side, what was it like being the kind of host nation, um, you know, your, your experience of, the, of that tour? Yeah, I really, I sit in and I, I, I really get goosebumps when I think about it. Um, it's just different to anything else. Um, I mean, I was fortunate enough to play four World Cups. You only get one opportunity to play against the British Ice Lions. It's probably different for you guys because you do it every four years. We get once in 12 years. So most players only get one opportunity. And um, luckily, it was in a year we were uh, world champions. Uh, we were tri-nations champions. We beat the British and Irish. We beat the All Blacks three times before we played the British Irish Lions. So we were really on top form. And they arrived here with a great team. I mean, um, it's always tough playing against England or Ireland uh, or Wales or Scotland. But when they combine, they're pretty tough to beat. So, um, yeah, just an unbelievable experience. I'll never forget. I think that second test at Loftus was probably one of the better British Irish Lions tests versus the Springboks ever. And lying that morning in my hotel room, Loftus is where I played all my club rugby as well. And 
being used to seeing Loftus only blue for the Bulls or only green when the Springboks play there. I was lying in the room and they were showing Loftus and I could only see red. There was only red running onto the stadium and felt like we were tricking them because there were no South African supporters. And um, I think that was that's what makes it special. So I don't know what's going to happen, but for the players' um, sake, I really hope we can get some fans over to, just to experience that with all their fans coming over, sitting in the stadium, singing their songs. Um, yeah, it's just a great experience. Victor, from chatting to some of the other players that, have, that were involved in the Lions test in 2009, they've said, because similar to what Ian said, you know, because the time differences well worked out well, it meant that you actually had time to socialise with the players after the game, whereas the Australian and New Zealand tests with the time difference, the games were later for TV and that. So what players, you know, was it was it great to be able to hang out with the Lions players? And like, was there any lasting friendships that you made throughout the tour? Yeah, we had a great opportunity after the, especially the third test, we had a big um, dinner and a big function afterwards. And um, yeah, it was nice. I mean, uh, I've got a very good relationship with Paul O'Connell. Um, he's big mates with some of my big mates in South Africa. They do business together. And I remember, uh, yes, which year was it when they beat us in the mist? And I think Start about four balls from me in the lineup. They really gave me a lot of crap. Uh, and um, yeah, having them over here, it's always nice to spend time with the guys like that. You don't always get time, even if we play in the Southern Hemisphere. Like you say, we don't have the functions that you guys normally have after the games. So it's in and out, and you try and see each other. Uh, there's some guys that you'll probably see in the week before a test match just to catch up, have a coffee, whatever. But um, yeah, to sit down, to have a few beers together, to have a lot of, just to have a chat about it and to um, talk about the experiences is, is really great. So, always nice. We really like each other. And it was actually so interesting. I saw a program the other day where Brian Driscoll talked about where I was chasing him in that Loftus game the whole time. And I can remember something like that. I don't know why I was obsessed with him before the game. And, um, we were, I was into him quite a bit in the game, but I mean, a few years back, we played the um, golf tournament together in the same team or we played against each other, but we had so much fun together. So, yes, we're very competitive on the field, but once we get off the field, we really enjoy each other's company. That, um, that second test of, of that tour was without doubt one of the most famous games of the professional era. Could you could you sense you know in the lead up to the game even the warm up of the game could you sense that South Africa were on and ready to go did, did you feel like it was just going to be one of those days? Yeah, it's difficult because I think we were probably a bit more charged up for the first game in Durban because everyone was talking um, about the South African team because we won in two thousand seven we're getting older. We probably passed our best. And um, although we did very well um, in the Tri-Nations, and um, I remember in Durban, there came a question, Buckies and myself were sitting on um, the panel for the media, and they were like, is Paul O'Connell and them, are they going to take over from us? Or can we stay the best combination? I just saw Buckies' grin. I knew we were in trouble. <laughs> we're going to be up for this. And... Um, Went up, we were very physical in Durban. When we're going into Loftus, we wanted to finish it, but when we when we saw again, they were in front and we were almost in trouble. Uh, I think Peter made great um, substitutions, bringing Mornay Stain on that used to playing at Loftus, Jock Fury coming on that second half, and those guys had a big impact. Uh, the guys off the bench just really made a difference. So, yeah, we were probably caught off guard a little bit. Um, but luckily, because we've played together for so long and we've been in those situations, if you look back at the 2007 World Cup, against Tonga, we were in trouble, we came back. Against Fiji, we were almost in trouble, came back. So we knew how to handle it. And luckily, 
we had a group of senior players that could keep the team calm and um, yeah, pull it back. So Victor, finally, before we wrap up, can you tell us a little bit about that tradition, the South African tradition about this Springbok skin that's hanging proudly on your wall behind you? Yeah, so when Jake White came in, there was always, uh, we always get this um, trophies after a game for the best tackle, the most tackles and everything. And he changed all of that. He said there's only going to be one for the man of the match. It won't be the man of the match that uh, they that get announced um, on the day at the game. It will be something in the team, someone doing something special or someone just really <clears throat> having a great game. I must I think Skull Berger probably got about 100 of those at <laughs> home. Uh, he was man of the match. Jake just loved him. He was always man of the match. And, um, of course, the way Skull played, he always put in a special effort. So I was lucky enough win that in the World Cup final in 2007. Uh, so, um, yeah, very proud of it. And, um, yeah, well, that was a great day for Yeah, us. great story. Really great story. Um, well, Victor, it has been fantastic having you on. Absolutely love chatting to you. Um, I hope that you enjoy the Lions series and that we get to see lots of rugby. Cheers, guys, and cheers to everybody for watching and listening today. A huge thanks to producer Pat, Paul, Colin, Anthony, Dermot, and everyone that helped getting this show together. This has been House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. Game changed.